Theology Thursday live. I'm using my iPhone, so I'm hoping it maintains connection. Well, wait a second for my thousands of viewers to come on. But um, if you're watching this later, <clears throat> um, we'll go ahead and get started. Anyway, so, um, hey, Eric Ridgel, good to see you, man. My one viewer, no smart aleck comments from you. All right. <coughs> And that cough was just for you. Um, all right, so Psalm 91. That's what we're looking at. Let's do it, man. So Psalm 91. Uh, I'm seeing it in a lot of places, and I see a lot of people saying that they're seeing it everywhere. So that Psalm 91 is being used by a lot of Christians to ward off the, the virus. Um, they wouldn't maybe quite put it like that, but um, let's look at it. Psalm 91, and you know, is, is there a proper, a proper, a proper application? Hello, Amy Black and Sarah Burleson. Sarah can hear whether she's viewing or not. Um, Psalm 91, okay, can this legitimately be used to protect us from the virus if we apply it and understand it and believe it properly. So let me just say to begin with here, um, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the um, the uh, applicate that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of Scripture. I believe that all of Scripture um, has application for today. I believe that um, children are a future. Sorry, I believe that. Um, uh, the Word of God is the Word of God. It's inerrant and infallible and all these things. So I'm not a liberal person who doesn't really believe the Bible. I'm a Christian-believing, um, Bible-believing, um, Holy Spirit-filled, directed um, believer in the Word of God. I also understand that the Word of God has to be interpreted as a written document. And you would say, of course that's the case because it is a written document. So you have to kind of, you have to read it like that. And it's like, yeah, but you know, really a lot of people don't read it like it's really uh, uh, as, as literature. So how do you read literature? Um, how do you understand it? So there's, you know, you have to understand how a sentence works. You have to understand how a, a paragraph works. You have to be able to do a few other things too. They get the the point it's um some things in the bible is some some writing is poetry so you read it like like you would poetry some of it is history so you read it like it's um like it's um history it's notarized by jesus i'm not sure what that means but sounds good <laughs> so let's um so anyway the um when you're reading the Old Testament in particular, well, not in particular, but reading anything in the Bible, you need to know some things about it. It all comes within a context, for, for one. Um, you know, you can't just take a verse out necessarily, and then because you, you can do all kinds of things with a sentence from anybody. We see that on the news all the time. Somebody will, you know, especially these days, because President Trump is the president, they'll take something President Trump says, and they'll just like completely out of context and some people will never look up the context and they'll go I can't believe he said it although there's plenty of things that everybody says that in context we can't believe we say it either but things do need to be uh, read within their context also they need to be taken within their um, historical time so that if somebody's talking about something um, such as I don't know I can think of an example like catching a train 
Um, and you know, you live in a time in the future where nobody remembers what trains are. We kind of have to know what did it mean to catch a train back then? Um, things like that, which you could think of a, 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 an actual example, but, um, you have to be able to read things in the context in which it was written. So, and you have an author and he wrote something to what's who are called the original reading audience. So the original reading audience, there was, it was written to them for a purpose. And then there's also things within the Bible that are intended to be passed on and read by us today. But in order for us to properly interpret the scriptures, we need to be able to place ourselves back in time. This is called the historical um, interpretation. I uh, have to be able to place ourselves back in time in that culture to see, well, what did they mean by those words when they used it? What did they mean when they said this? And, and things like that. And then the redemptive context is, um, you know, it's all talking about Jesus Christ, but in what way? Um, what things applied to, in this particular case, we're going to look at what applied directly to King David? Um, what things maybe were applying directly to King Jesus? What things in this might apply directly to a Christian today? Because those things have direct consequence as to how we apply and interpret Psalm 91 for a believer today. And how we interpret and apply Psalm 91 for a believer today has great consequence as to how we're going to behave. Now, a lot of times what will happen is the way we will interpret Scripture um, is contradicted by the way we actually live our lives. Um, so we will live our lives, sometimes it works like this. Sometimes we, we interpret the Word of God illogically, and then, but we live our lives logically. And so people look at that and go, oh, there's a contradiction there, and there is. Or sometimes we'll, we'll um, interpret the Word of God logically and live our lives illogically. And so there's a contradiction. So what we have to do is figure out, I want my actions to line up with my beliefs. I want my interpretation of scripture to dictate the way I live my life. And if I'm going to do those two things, I have to live by faith, but also have to have wisdom. And God gives us both of these things. So when we're looking at Psalm 91, we have to look at what the original reading audience, how would they have read it, what was the purpose of it, who it was written to, who is it referring to, and then how do we apply these things. And the way we do this, I can sit here all day long and give you my opinion. Seems to me as if this could probably mean, and it's like, you can't do that. And so what a lot of people are doing today is like, you know, one of our gods that we worship is health. I mean, it's just like, what's going to happen if we do get the virus? Is or only Is this going to be like the... Um, is this going to be like the uh, the Passover, where we are as believers, we are the ones that you know the the virus is the death angel, and as long as we had the blood over our households, then nobody in our house is going to die. Um, and some people are interpreting it like this, so that if you have faith and you proclaim the words of this psalm over your household, then you're you're going to be fine. There's not going you're not going to get anything. Um, and I guess maybe my, the way I'm saying it and facial expressions are giving away the fact that I disagree with that particular type of interpretation. Um, I think there's great value in this psalm. But I think if you use biblical interpretation and biblical interpretive processes that you normally do to interpret the Bible is you say, all right, I think it means this. All right, does that line up with the rest of Scripture? Scripture is not going to contradict itself. So what you have to do is figure out, let the Bible interpret the Bible. And if you're going to have an interpretation for this particular verse, and it's also interesting to me, a lot of the people who are 
um, proponents of if you have enough faith, you're not going to get sick. If you have enough faith, you're going to have wealth and these type of things. They go back to the Old Testament a lot and pick up the promises that are there. So as you're doing that yourself for some things or you're seeing other people do it, notice the times are going to the Old Testament. And these same people won't use the Old Testament in interpretation of other things. Like they'll say there's a there's a disconnect between the Old Testament and the New Testament until we want to prove our health and wealth theology. And then suddenly they use all these things, just ching, 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 just grab these verses all out of everywhere. And it's like, you know, is there a difference between the nation of Israel and the church? And, you know, of course there is. But there's also similarities. There's continuity and discontinuity. So all of these things, they're complicated. But God is not the author of confusion. Um, and I had a friend of mine remind me of this yesterday. And he used it in the sense of, therefore, the Bible is simple to understand. And if you're making it complicated, you're just confusing people. And God's not the author of confusion. And it's like, the Bible says to study the Bible there. If you do that, then things can start to make sense. The great problem with the people who interpret the Bible spiritually only or greatly is this is there how do you know when it's your heart? How do I know? Why am I supposed to trust your interpretation when it really doesn't line up with the rest of scripture just because you say that that's the way it's supposed to be done. So, you don't want to go about what I say. I get it. I don't want to go by what I say either. The heart is deceitfully wicked. What does the Bible say? Hey, let's read Psalm 91. Here it is from the ESV. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Okay, and I'm not going to take too long with reading all this, but here's what I want you to notice as I go forward. Um, in Hebrew poetry, one of the things that's typically there is this thing called parallelism. And if you've heard me talk about um, the Old Testament much, especially in the... Sorry, for, these are my $1 reading glasses. I break them and lose them. I'm not spending money on these things. Um, maybe if I have more faith. The um, parallelism. So he'll say one thing, and then he'll say the same thing again in a little bit different nuanced way. So you can use the two passages to interpret the passages. So it's given its own little key to interpretation. So it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide. Okay, see how dwells and abide? That's the same thing. He who dwells in the shelter. Now here it says, will abide in the shadow. Okay, now shadow can seem like a bad thing, but you're going to be under the shadow of like a, a, a caring person. Okay, um, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Okay, he said the same thing twice, really. just gives you different ways. And he says, I will say to the Lord. Now, the Septuagint attributes this to David has written it here. I will say to Yahweh, the Lord, uh, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Okay, so this is, he's seeing this as God. Who is the Lord? The Lord's my refuge. He's where I go when I need shelter from the storm. Okay, something's happening. I can't deal with it. I had to find my happy place. I can find my, it's not even a happy place necessarily, but it's a safe place. It's a place, it's like a storm shelter type thing. Um, all right, Eric, let's see what you got here, man. I got to type, press C more here even. All right, I find it's really hard to really know what verses in the Bible mean most of the time, so maybe that's where people are getting this from. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, but they'll act like it's not, and I'm, 
this is why you study the Bible, and this is why you listen to teachers, and this is why you find a good church that believes the Bible, so that you can begin to learn the Bible. If you just pick it up and just kind of read it, and you're not real familiar with it, then it's like anything else. Anything you study uh, at first is terribly difficult, but if you keep at it long enough, and you keep studying it, and God has promised to bless that study too, it does start to make more sense. So it, it can be... Um, First Peter in the New Testament, Paul Peter writes about Paul's writings. Okay, Peter's an apostle, and Paul's an apostle. And Peter says, you know, some of the things that Paul writes is difficult to understand. I mean, even Peter said that. Peter said some of the things that Paul writes are difficult to understand, which unstable and corrupted people twist to their destruction as they do the rest of Scripture. So what we have to be careful to do is not to twist Scripture to our destruction, um, and, and it can be done. And then the Bible also says to study yourself, study to make sure that you are a, um, a, faithful, a person who can accurately discern, can accurately understand the Word of God. So it takes some study. It does. Um, because what you're doing when you're studying God is, it's like anything else. Like, Eric, um, you know football. It's like, man, I've never known anybody know so much about football. You make me feel stupid when it comes to football because I don't know nothing compared to you and compared to most people, really, about football. But, you, man, somebody, you go into the you go into the sports store and want a jersey, and you ask about something, and the guy mentions some, you know, or some football player, and you're like, yeah, he ran this many times, and he tackled that many people, and, the guy, and you know more than that guy. So you should actually work in a sports store, too, by the way. But how, do you, how did you come about that knowledge? Were you born with it? You you spent time with it, you study it, you listen to it, you love it. So the more you fall in love with God, the more you fall in love with the Bible, the more you're starting to understand it like this too. So anyway, um, very good comment, by the way. You're, you're batting a thousand so far. A sports analogy. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Okay, so I'm trusting in God. I'm, I'm under his shadow. I, I, I know my God. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Now, we are in a deadly pestilence. Um, that's what, you know, deadly, I think other translations use the word plague or something like this. So you can see why people would look at this and go, whoa, God's going to deliver us from this virus. God's going to do this thing because the word of God has, has said so right here. And he says, he'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Now, that's an interesting thing because most of us aren't terribly worried about falling into snares of the fowler. Now, what is a fowler? And this is not a sports analogy because a fowler would be somebody who hits somebody in a way they're not supposed to, right? Um, it's a person who captures birds. And so, um, you know, you're, it's, you're trying to be captured. So there's somebody that's trying to capture them and you're not going to be caught in that snare of the fowler. And I think you're talking about Satan's snares because you hear these things in Scripture too. It's like the, the one who is out to get you, but God is is watching over you and you're going to be saved from this deadly pestilence. Okay, so what does that exactly mean? All right, so got a question that's popped up here. Jennifer Franklin. By the way, good to see you. Uh, what about St. Chronicles 13? Whenever I hold back the rain, send locusts to eat up the crops, or send an epidemic to my people. An epidemic, that's an interesting word they use. Um, if they pray to me and repent and turn away from the evil they have been doing, then I will hear them in heaven, forgive their sins, and make their land prosperous again. Yeah, and that's the same thing. It's like, so what you have to ask yourself in Second Chronicles is, 
who was he talking to? Who who's the writer? Who's the author? What was going on? And who are the, who's the intended audience? Is that intended for everybody in the whole world and then their land? And so, what does that mean, their land? If it was you know a particular country, and then who gets to repent on behalf of an entire country and and things like this? And we could say, all right, so our country is under a pestilence because of sin and it would be easy to find sins i mean it's just you know but there always has been i mean from you know so god does send these things as judgments he sends these things as warnings to say you need to wake up and be aware that life is short and things can happen and you need to think about it so whatever god's doing and god hasn't told anybody specifically what the purpose of this is beyond the things that we're reading in scripture here is like, what about God's people? Okay. And then what about God's, what, what's the land now? Is that a promise for the United States? Um, if all the believers in the United States, well, does that mean we have to have a majority of believers in the United States? I mean, how many people have to repent? Does the whole nation have to repent? See, this was written for Israel. It was the nation of Israel that they were talking to at that particular time. And God had promised them that you will go. And this is where Psalm 91 comes in too, because it's King David is the king of the nation of Israel. That is God's kingdom on earth, a theocracy that represents heaven on earth, whose goal was to bring the kingdom of God, the king to to rule the earth and so what we'd see is that's exactly what's going to happen and that's what's being fulfilled in the church but not in the way that God was doing it with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament because they were supposed to go out and conquer the land and conquer the people and then what would happen is people would be drawn to them because of their righteousness and the nations would come to them well they blew it because humans blow it. Even King David blew it. As soon as he died, and he sinned too, um, as soon as he died, his two sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, it's like the divided kingdom. And all of a sudden, and God had told them, if you do good and you do right, I'll bless you and we'll accomplish this task. But if you sin, all these curses are going to fall upon you. So this is what you see in the Old Testament are, are the people of Israel being called back to repentance. Now, the application for us today is, are you personally in sin? Are we personally in sin? It's like, well, we always have to examine our hearts and we repent of sin and things. But the, the, but the, so we, will be, we are blessed by God as believers no matter where we live, no matter what we go through, um, with the fact that he is with us. And that's what we're going to look at is, is, is that idea. Um, and so as we get to, you know, we'll get through this together. Verse 4 in Psalm 91, he will cover you with his pinions. And I remember in seminary class, the teacher asked, um, does anybody know what a pinion is? And my friend said, all I know is that everybody has one, an opinion. Okay. So, pinions are the, I think it's the in tips of the wings that can be used as protecting, and, a, and a, a bird can use them as weapons even too, but he's going to cover us with his wings. Under his wings, you'll find refuge. So, you're looking for that refuge, you'll find it under the wings of God. Um, his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Shield and a buckler, so a little shield. There, you know, he's going to protect you. His, interesting too, it's like his faithfulness is the shield, okay? So that's what we're going to think about. Okay, God is faithful. God is just, but he's merciful, and so we have faith in him, but it's his faithfulness that we're trusting in. Then he says, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. 
Okay, so you're not going to fear these things. Now, it doesn't necessarily yet say that those things aren't going to come upon you, come upon you. That those things aren't going to be something that's going to come at you, but that you don't need to fear them. Okay, so what do we need? Mean by fear that they're not going to get me? That they're not going to you know? What do we mean? So we're going to keep going. And then he says, and he even gets more strong with this. Remember, David, if this is a Psalm of David and written during this time, they were actually fighting warfare. So a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Now, this could be David talking to the nation of Israel, too. And then we can apply this in some way as believers today. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. So the wicked are going to get, are, are the ones that are going to be paid back. Because you have made Yahweh, the Lord, your dwelling place, because this is what he tells us to do, you who dwell in the place of the Most High, the Most High who is my refuge, this is who I got to go to God for my refuge, and when you do that, no evil will be allowed to befall you, and no plague come near your tent. There you go. So, everybody that's ever died in the plague, were they unfaithful? Is that what we're going to see? Are we going to see the faithful people not be touched by a plague, and the faithless people are. Again, going right back to it as it looks with the, um, with the Passover. So I feel that it means if you trust in the love and protection, got a word there you made up, protect, protect, protective father for his believers, you don't have to worry. Yes, now that's what I'm saying. But what we're going to see is that it's not that bad things won't happen to you. It's that they ultimately have no power over you. If you are fearing walking down the road, then you're most, it's like like Band of Brothers and these types of shows, or even if it's a football team or something, you got somebody out there that's afraid of the other team, they're gonna have, they're gonna get hurt. If they're afraid, you know, proper fear of that big old guy coming at me is wise. But an irrational fear, like, I don't know what's going to happen, what's going to happen, that's no good and you can't do things. But as a believer, you know, you, you do you put your seatbelt on? Do you drive speed limit? You know, do you, do, do you wash your hands? You know, are you doing these things or do you, are you handling snakes and daring them to bite you and stuff? You know I mean? And it's not because the word of God is not true, but it's because the word of God has to be interpreted properly as to what he's saying. And we're going to use the rest of scripture to look at it too. All right. So no evil be loud for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, that should sound familiar to people if um, if you know your Bible much, because this is what Satan quoted. Satan was familiar with Psalm 91, and he quoted it to somebody. And if you remember who he quoted it to, he, he quoted it to Jesus when he was, Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, when Satan was tempting Jesus trying to get Jesus to sin, trying to get Jesus to worship him, trying to give him a kingdom without a cross. And um, and he told him, where is this? This is in uh, Matthew chapter 4. So hold your place there. Go real quick to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we read there, Jesus was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, because Jesus already said, God had already said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, in the garden, you remember, God had told Adam not to eat from the tree because they, you know, so what Satan does is, did God really say, 
that you couldn't eat from any tree. And now what he says is, God really say you're some God. You really think that? You really believe you're some God? Well, let's just prove it to everybody. Prove it right now. Prove it to yourself. Uh, if you are, then command these stones to become bread. And he said, because he's 40 days he's fasting, and he says, it, you know, but he uses scripture back at him. He says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, so I'm not worried about my physical being right now. And then the devil took him to the holy city, to Jerusalem, took him to the top of the temple. Okay, put him on, lots of people there. You can see it, so let's prove it. All you got to do right now, you don't have to go up on a cross. You can go up on top of the temple and do all this stuff. So the devil took him to the holy temple and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you're some guy, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, Psalm 91, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Jesus said to him, Again it's written, so he goes back and he says, um, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, So not putting um, God to the test means... Um, you really want to prove this, that, um, that God's going to protect you in every given circumstance, physically in every little thing, then put yourself into those circumstances and let's see him do it. And it's like, whoa, no, you're putting God to the test. Um, and so you have to be careful of those things too. Christian hearing. Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying, I didn't wait. I finished what I was doing. Uh, so you're saying that just because someone quotes scripture, Christian is a, is a pastor, by the way, so be careful. He's going to try to catch us here. Um, they may not be speaking the truth. Ooh, burn. Yeah, how about that? Even the angel comes as a, a the Satan comes as an angel of light, speaking words of scripture. Very, it's a very good point. So people, Satan, that's what he does. Misapplying, misquoting scripture to trap us trip us up. So we had to be very careful careful with this. All right. So he says, you will tread on the lion and the adder, um, the young lion and serpent you will trample underfoot. So Satan understood this is being applied ultimately to Jesus Christ. Not to every single believer, but if it is in some way being applied to every single believer, uh, he's saying is, is your, what, what Jesus is being told is you're going to accomplish your purpose here on earth. Everything you choose, everything that I give you to do, you're going to do. And you don't have to worry about a pestilence coming upon you. And Jesus is sinless. So he's not born in sin. So he doesn't have these things. But he's able to, God's going to accomplish his purposes through him, which ultimately is going to be suffering and death. And he comes for this purpose. And then he says, take up your cross and follow me. Unjust suffering, um, bearing up under whatever it is that God has for us. Not that he will protect us from anything that harmful or hurtful, that might come before us, but that his nothing's going to take us away from from his purposes for us. There's no but nothing's going to trick us up here. Um, so Christians replying to Christians. I've been meditating on that thought a lot here lately for the very same reason you're talking about here. Yeah. And so okay, we're on the same page. Psalm ninety one. All right, we're almost at the end of this because he holds. Okay, now why is he going to do all this stuff? Because he holds fast to me in love. That's awesome. So, and and pick up the New Testament. How the New Testament is applying this stuff and understanding to these things. It's like, is it because I'm holding fast to him? Well, he's telling us to dwell in there, seek refuge in him. But the awesome thing is, I don't have to worry about this stuff because you know what? Nothing can separate us from the love of God our Father. Okay, Romans 8. Shall trial, shall tribulation, shall these things? No, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus because he holds fast to me in love. 
Okay? And he says, because he holds fast to me in love, I'll deliver him. Okay, perhaps I read it and interpreted it wrong. God is saying, because you hold fast to him in love, he will deliver you. I will protect him because he knows my name. Okay? So both things are true. But in this particular uh, verse, what he's saying is, because you're holding fast to God in love. And so when these things are going on, you hold fast to God. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So then the question there has to be too. So people who die young, um, that are believers, did they not have faith? Now what's being said here? And um, he says, I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him. Jesus didn't have long life, really, comparatively. And I'll show him my salvation. But what he's saying is, is the natural course of time, people who believe in him and trust in him, then they're, they're under God's protection. But God has a plan for each of us in such a way that might have to do with suffering. And it's not so much what you go through, but one, who goes through it with you and how do you go through it? And that's what Job, and read Job, that was what that was all about. Job, you know, God actually says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And, you know, because Job was a righteous man. That's why he actually, in this case, Job was suffering because he was righteous. And then he actually, and his friends come to him and say, no, you're suffering because you had some kind of sin, because otherwise you wouldn't be suffering. So, I mean, Job is written to counter this whole wrong theology about nothing ever happening to a believer if they have enough faith. And because bad things are happening to you, Job, so you must have sinned. And he's like, I haven't, I haven't done anything. Now, ultimately, we know that's not exactly true. We've all done things, but Job's like, you know, comparatively, I'm, and he did have, God even says he was a righteous man. And so, finally he gets so upset over this that he decides to have it out with God. He said, God, you put God in front of me and I will tell him there's no reason for this because he's being told by his friends that, that there is a reason for this. That this is happening because you've done wrong and he starts to under, believe that and he's like, well, I haven't done wrong. Thank you, Jeffrey. He said, I haven't done wrong. So why is this happening to me? What's up with that, God? And so God, and then God answers him, which is something... You know, we all want to hear from God, but sometimes you better be cool about it. And um, and God says, you know what, Job? Where were you when I made everything? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Where were you? And he got this, all this stuff in Job where it's like, where were you when I did these things? Who were you, oh man, to answer back to me? Paul picks it up in the New Testament where he says, um, you know, shall the thing made say back to the creator, why have you made me this way? You know, or we might say, why am I going through this? It's because you have to know who God is. And if you know who God is, then whatever happens, you examine yourself, okay? Sometimes bad things happen to you because you've been a jerk or because you've been stupid or because, you know, or sometimes bad things happen because there's evil people in the world. Sometimes things just happen, but God's in control of all of these things. And so what God does with the believer is if you're his child, he disciplines you. And if you'll listen and go to his word and find a church that believes the Bible and the gospel and will love you and help you through this and pray for you and encourage you, then you'll start to see there's things for us always to learn in this. I mean, in the, in the, in the global pandemic, I can promise you there's lessons to be learned about faith. I mean, it's, it, it's just there. And Eric says, I'm really confused right now. Well, thank you. We say God and Jesus are one person, but in the Bible, they're two different people. Okay, get the person's thing, right? If Jesus gave his life for us, but God gave his only son, 
who is the hero? Like, who do we really worship? Sorry, this might sound stupid. <laughs> now you know how I feel when I ask you stuff about football. No, it doesn't sound stupid. It's an excellent question. And so it, it, it's a little off topic, but I'm going to hit it real quick because maybe other people had the same question. And there you are asking it. So God, okay? There's one God. There's, like God is spirit. So you can't break God up into parts. He's not like us, you know? So he's got a whole different type of being that we can't understand. But we are shown in scripture that he does, that there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But there's just one God. So what people have tried to do is to say, well, how do we explain this? Where we don't contradict what the Bible says, but we're true to what the Bible says. And so what God does is he has 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 manifested himself to us this where he exists in three persons and this is just words that we've used to try to explain this so you have so he's father because the father speaks to the son and so he's not talking to himself okay um so the father speaks to the son the father and the son send the spirit and, and these sorts of things so as, as god the father god the son and god the holy spirit so but they're they're just, they're one god god the son becomes man okay so that he can for there's reason for it. But God the Father sends the Son to die for us so that the people who believe in him won't perish but have everlasting life. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father through the working of the Holy Spirit. So what God the Father is doing is he sends his Son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God decides to save sinful people. Why? No need for it. What should have happened for justice is everybody's wiped out. Everybody. So if you want justice, that's not what you want to ask for. You want, don't don't cry out. This isn't fair. What we want is grace and mercy, and it's only available in Jesus Christ because God is holy. And so, but God decides to sacrifice for us. And you see it back in the garden. The day you eat, you shall die. But they don't die that day because they try to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. But he kills an animal, clothes them with the blood of an animal, pointing forward to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who will die for us. So it's a lot of stuff you ask, but let me put it quickly like this. We are saved from God. Okay, because when you say you're saved, the question would be, from what? And the right answer to that is God, the wrath of God over our sin. Well, if God is after you, who can save you? I mean, that's it, man. God's going to get you. There's nobody anywhere. Only God can do it. So he says, I looked, and there was no one. My own right arm had to save people. Okay, so that what happens is God saves us from himself by himself. And he does that for himself so that what we're able to do is we see something about God in these things that we would never know otherwise. So if God created the world in such a way where there was no sin, there'd be no way to understand what forgiveness is. Because you'd be like, you know, so if God has all these qualities about him, forgiveness, love, mercy, um, sacrificial love, like how do you demonstrate to your creation, sacrificial love, if there's no need for sacrificial love, if there's never a need for forgiveness, if everybody's perfect, then you can never understand what forgiveness, God, you know, God, somebody might say, you know, God said he's forgiven, he's, he forgives people, what, what do you mean for, 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 what's that mean, and so, you know, he's expressing things about himself so that he can be glorified, so that we'll know even more about God, so, that's a lot of what happens in all this is the fact that we're supposed to learn more about God and, and our, have our faith 
um, made stronger in the crises that we go through as we try to figure things out. If, if you use Psalm 91 to say, if you have enough faith, then you're not going to get the virus, then you're, myth- you're going to be disappointed when you get the virus. You're going to have to be like... But, you know, people like that don't believe they can get the virus. But then the people who did get the virus, it's an indication that they didn't have enough sense. See, it's just, it doesn't make sense. But, so the question is, how do I interpret Psalm 91 in a way that doesn't make it a lie? And Eric stumbled on a lot of it where it's like, well, a lot of it is just you trust him in the midst of these things. And then the rest of it is, too, a lot of it is pointing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Satan picked up on that. And, and the fact that, that this is the one that's going to come, he's the one that defeats our enemies. He's the one that saves us through all this stuff. So, real quick. All right. And another, so, you know, take, for example, another psalm. Let the psalm interpret the psalm. Psalm 23. Most people know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So what's he say? I mean, if you read that right there and you take that, um, I never want anything. I just lie in green pastures all the time. I'm beside still waters. He restores my soul. I mean, that's what David knows God to do that. And then he says this. Yes, even though I walk the valley shall have death. Wait a minute, you just said that you make me lie in green pastures and beside still waters and I'll never want. But he's like, but here I am in the valley of shadow of death. He's like, he's not a contradiction. I mean, people back then knew a contradiction when they saw it too. So he's saying, even if I walk through the valley of shadow of death, if it's so dark, I don't know what's going on. I'm in a valley. I don't know what's happening. I don't even know. He said, but I'm not going to fear evil. Doesn't mean he's not in darkness, and doesn't mean something. They might die even, but I'm not going to fear evil because you're with me. You're riding your staff; they comfort me. It's this time it's like a shepherd, and he says, "You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies." So even in the presence of evil, it's like, man, I've got you've got heaven. I mean, that's one thing I think we miss out on. It's like you think all this is about our health and wealth and prosperity. You think that that's what God is really wanting to do with his people is just make sure you can live like Kings. When so many believers across the world that make our faith look like dirt, live in dirt and in shacks and in poverty and in nothing. And, and you know, and then we think, Oh, and then Bobby even talks about that. When you get, when you take the land, even when Israel takes the land, don't think it's my righteousness that gave me the land. Don't think it was, I'm so good. He's like, no, I just chose you because those people are so bad and you better watch out too because I might turn on you if you're unfaithful. And so, I mean, it sounds bad to say, you know, so is God, what is God? Is he just, is he wrathful or is he merciful and gracious? And it's like, yes, he's merciful and gracious and he's wrathful and, 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 and vengeful. But, he, but he, that's why you have to be hidden in Christ because he poured all that onto Jesus Christ. And so that we're able to be hidden in Jesus Christ. All this is covenantal language. All this is language talking about, you know, how you're protected by him and things. And so... All right, let's, let's keep cranking through this. We're, we'll get through. All right, Romans chapter 8. Um, so now we're moving into New Testament. And this is where Paul is writing Romans chapter 8. So everybody clings to Romans 8. So it's like the heart of the gospel in Romans. So Romans 8, 28. Um, that's one that's quoted a lot. Likewise, okay, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us with our weakness because we don't know how to pray like we ought to, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So we got God, the Holy Spirit, prays for us with groanings that are real deep, too deep for even words. Um, lost my spot. Um, 
and he searches he who searches our hearts so he knows he knows what the mind of the spirit is because the spirit intercedes for the saints for the believers according to the will of god so so when the god, when the spirit's praying for us the holy spirit it's like it's you don't have god the father up there trying to get us and the holy spirit and jesus going hold on hold on father don't don't get them it's like he they're on the same page they all are working together for our good um and then he says in verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, okay, so this is what they were talking about in Psalm 91, for those clinging to him in love, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So even the virus is working together for good. Even the death of a believer works together for good. And, and you can start thinking about really terrible things. And it's like, okay, does that even work together for good? And it's like, Ultimately, in some way, yes, because the worst thing you can think of is going to be dealt with righteously and justly, either in Christ or by us. But there's God's not going to pardon these things and act as if they're not bad. And then he goes to verse 31, and he says, so what can we say about all this? If God is for us, now remember what I said, if God's trying to get you, then who can, there's nothing you can do about it. If God's after you, um, there's nothing you can do. But if God is for you, Okay, then who can be against you? And as believers, God is for us. We're told that. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? Now, there are a lot, the world's against us. Our own flesh is against us. The demonic forces are against us. They all are arrayed for our destruction. So he's not saying who could possibly want to be against you. But if God's for you, then who can actually ultimately get you? Okay, death is going to get us all unless the Lord comes back and we're taken away. But it's appointed man wants to die, and after that's judgment. So we're going to face that. So let's face it boldly, and let's face it with faith, and let's go through what it is we're called to go through with faith and dignity. And I don't think it's that we would be protected from this thing, but as we go through it, I mean, I'm praying for protection. I don't want my family to get sick, my church to get sick, and you guys to get sick. We all pray for, for wellness. We pray for these things, but we also recognize, not my will, but thine be done. And if we do walk through these things, you don't do it like the world does. Like, oh no, what happens if I get sick and die? Oh no, what happens? I got to start chanting this verse and put these things over my, oh no, oh no, help, help. Don't be like that. I mean, take precautions. Wear your seatbelt. Don't drive, you know, be God gave you a brain. Put it to use. But at the same time, we don't mourn like those who have no hope. And we do not fear like those who have no hope. And if God is for us, then nothing can be against it. Yeah, I know there's a lot of stuff. But, you know, here we go. <laughs> um, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. Right, Eric is talking about the father. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So the father gave up his own son for all of us. Will he not now also graciously give us everything? All things? And so that's what he says. He's going to give us everything. So what is everything? And the Bible says, um, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, that's a psalm too. If you delight yourself in the Lord, then he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, if your desire is for health, what are you delighting in? If your desire is for money, what are you delighting in? If your desire is for your children to love you and to, to have happiness, what are you delighting in? You delight in God... And he's going to give you the desire of your heart. And he means he's going to give you more of himself. And that's the greatest thing. And that's what we're praying for. And that's what we're hoping for. All right. And then Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5. 
This is, this is pretty important. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, all right, you have faith, you've been declared righteous. Guilty sinners, nasty sinners that we are, we've been justified by faith. And so therefore, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you have peace with, with God through Jesus. And then through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We're, we're not judged by righteousness we're given grace so we rejoice in the hope of the glory of god not only that but we rejoice in our it's backwards on here sufferings so we rejoice in our sufferings okay so i'm it doesn't mean oh i'm excited that i'm suffering but even in our sufferings we can rejoice even in our sufferings we can rejoice not that we've been spared from all sufferings is if I had more faith, I wouldn't have sufferings. But we can even, how can, how can you possibly rejoice in your sufferings? And he says right here, knowing that suffering, does it produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given for us. For while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And so we have, Christ has died for us. And then um, one more place, Acts. Chapter, only two more places to go. Acts 14, this is a key passage too for understanding you know, what believers may or may not go through. Acts 14, verse 21. So when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And they, what, what were they doing? They were strengthening the souls of the disciples. Okay, so there were people that were believers, and these people came back through, and they were strengthening their souls. And that's what I think. That's what I want to do. That's what the Bible does. That's what Psalm ninety-one isn't saying. You know, hide in your house in fear and 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 sing this song and and, and read this verse, and God's not going to let anything happen to you bad. It's not that. It's like it be strong if you go through something. I mean, let's do it. Encourage one another and strengthen one another. Look for how it could get worse. Well, I mean, yeah, things could get worse, but I mean, if, who knows what you might go through? I mean, the virus may be nothing compared to something we may go through later. I mean, there were people in the history of the world who have been tortured because they were believers. I mean, put on stakes and set on fire. Like they would put wood at their feet and, and put a stake up and tie them to the stake and then set the wood on fire. And then sometimes like put wet wood on it. So it just smoked. I mean, it was a blessing to get the wet wood because you die from smoking asphyxiation. Um, but they were tortured Christians because of their belief. And so, you know, that happened to people and you didn't, you weren't spared it, but you knew that God was with you in it. And that once you died, there's heaven. Like this is a short momentary affliction. And the Bible even says this momentary affliction isn't worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. So say this, it's um, Acts 14, 21, 22. And it says, so they're strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So there's lots of tribulations, lots of problems that we're going to go through to get to the kingdom of God. It's just, we're, we're promised. There's many, much more promises that you're going to go through hardship in this life than there is that you're going to be spared from any of it. I mean, you know, it's, it's the hard things in your life that, that, I mean, if you talk to a believer that's been through some things and they've come out with their faith, I mean, you've got an encourager. You have a strong 
And I mean, that's what nobody wants to go through that. But like lifting weights, somebody they just lift those little tiny little weights. They don't get strong. It's by lifting heavy weights that you get stronger. And that's what God does when He puts us under circumstances. And um, it's through our faith. And our faith, the Bible says that our faith is more important than gold. And so that, and it's more important than your health is more important than, you know, I mean, it, all this is fading away. You're, we're not, nobody's getting out of this thing alive, but there's heaven that awaits. And these things that are happening now are working an eternal weight of glory. Nothing that's happening for a believer here is, is wasted. And so that's God is at work in the midst of all these things with us. So Eric says some places are going back to that. So maybe that's what we are going back to. Sorry, going back to what? <laughs> I should have read what you, you were saying quicker. Going. All right, First Peter 1 Peter 1.3. Um, all right, and this is it. Last thing I have written down. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is Easter coming up. We celebrate this. The world's looking at it. And it's very interesting that the world is looking at Easter and hearing on the news, you know, this thing is going to spike here at on Sunday. You know, Easter is supposed to be the the worst of it. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's like, and then all the, you know, one of the memes on Facebook is all the churches are empty. He's like, that's all right. Cheer up. So is the tomb. You know, and that's, I kind of like that one. It's not bad. Um, you find a way to worship though. I mean, it's not just this Sunday. I mean, Easter is just, you know, it's something that we, we celebrate that every Sunday, the resurrection of Christ. But it's an important thing, and the world is looking right now at the resurrection of Christ. Death and resurrection. Jesus conquered the grave. Now, that's important. So it's like, what do you believe about life after death? What do you think happens when you die? Is that it? Or do you believe Jesus actually rose from the dead and conquered death? And if he conquered death for us, then those who are in Christ are risen with him. We've got that going for us. And then, so he, resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable it means it, it can't perish um it's undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you that's where you that's where your treasures are your treasures in heaven and the bible even talks about if your treasure is on earth that's where your heart's going to be but if your treasure is in heaven that's where your 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 heart's going to be so you know i mean if you worship this life then you're going to read scriptures and you're going to find things that are telling you that's what God wants you to do. That's what God's going to give you. Long life. God's going to. God's not going to let anything bad happen to you. God's never going to. It's like, but read the scriptures. And you see that this is not the case. But he's saying this treasure is kept an inheritance. Who by God's power are being guarded. All right. So we are being guarded by God's power through faith. Now that's good news. Okay. That's kind of what some of these people are saying. We're being guarded By God's power, through faith, so we have to have faith for what? For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's what we're being, that's what, salvation. Pestilence coming. I want to be saved from the pestilence. What do you mean saved from the pestilence? You want to just not die from the pestilence? Well, that'd be nice. Okay, but what about then? What, what about what does finally get you? You know, you it's 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 being saved from the wrath of God. It's being able to inherit heaven. All these things that await us. If you can really believe in the reality of the fact that this is not all there is, and the way you act out in your faith, and the things that you believe and you speak 
um, truth through other people and as you're trying to encourage one another and share the gospel with people and helping people to know, look around. This life is short. I know you think scientists can save you. I know you think if we can get rid of carbon emissions that you're going to save the planet. I know that you think if the government can give everybody money that we'll all live around, be happy and joyous. I know you think that we can all take care of ourselves in this way, but there's a little tiny invisible virus that's going around and it's telling everybody, ha, you're not all there is. So I really believe that, it, that I don't know what God's ultimately doing in these things, but I know part of what he's doing is this, is saying there's a warning. You know, the foundations are shaken. Look up, you know, and then increase your faith. Any trial that comes into your life is for you to, is a, for you to have an opportunity to grow your faith. So don't, there's John Piper wrote a book when he had cancer called um, Don't Waste Your Cancer. And it was all about growing your faith in the midst of this cancer that he had. Like there's things you can, he said there's things you can only learn about God when you're going through that. There's things that only by going through that can you learn. You know what I mean? So there's certain things you only learn about God when you're going through difficult times. I mean, this thing, you know, ultimately it's, it's works all things together for good. So we need to um, don't waste this time as a believer. I mean, this too shall pass. And so when we get through this, we have learned more about God. Will we be more like Christ on the other side of this? And that's what God cares about for his church. Are you going to be more Christ-like? Are you going to, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another the way that I loved you? And so that's that's what's key. Um, all right, I have no idea how long that went. My clock's ticking, but it ain't right. So anyway, Eric, great questions, man. I'm going to let you be my grand inquisitor for things. Um so anyway, all right, God bless. Um, I, I, we're going to pray that nobody gets sick. We're pray that that virus does go away. We're, but ultimately, our prayer is we remain strong and faithful and encouraged. And, and if, if, if it gets bad here, then you know we can minister to one another and we can be there for people and we can encourage people and we can just we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we don't just say God is good when we're well, but we say God is good when we're sick. We say, though he slay me, yeah, I will serve him. Read the book of Job. I mean, it's all about that kind of thing. It's just like God is good all the time. And, um, you know, he says, sometimes you have not because you ask not. And then when you do ask, you ask to spend it on your sinful desire. So our, my desire is that we would be found faithful in the midst of this. But we're also praying to be spared from these things, too. So, I mean, it's just what we, Jesus prayed that, too. If it's possible, let this cup pass. So let, let me pray. Father God, we just pray, let this cup pass. Um... We, it's one of those times we don't even know how to praise we all. The spirit within us prays with groanings too deep for words. And Jesus, a couple verses later, you say that you're, you are seated at the right hand of God the Father, praying, interceding for us. So you're, there's, there's weapons devised against us, and our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against cosmic powers, um, principalities, spiritual forces. And... Um, and you're praying against those things, and you're forced. They have no power. That's what Psalm 91 is about. There's, there's ultimately, if God's for us, who can be against us? And we see it so much more clearly in the New Testament. So, Lord, as we go through struggles, and we do, we're in a cursed world. This world, we pray, thy kingdom come. That's the whole Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, Lord, thy will be done on earth like it is in heaven. It'll be done immediately and, and without hesitation. But I just pray for everybody listening, for everybody that's praying for somebody else, for people who are afraid 
um, that you would have us to be you know, cautious like we are with fire or electricity, things like that. We, we're cautious, but we're not, we're not walking around in fear. If this thing gets us, then, you know, I mean, you're, you've been through death. You've been through things. You, you've experienced uh, more hardship and trial, the wrath of God, than you tasted that for us. And